in his book, uh, Spiritual Disciplines by Donald Whitney, he tells a story of a boss and his employee. The employee, he went to a conference, a retreat, and at the retreat, he gave his life to Christ, and he was ecstatic. And that experience, when you have given your life to Christ, uh, he couldn't help but uh, he couldn't keep it contained. He went uh, to his boss when he returned from the conference, and he told him, I had the most incredible weekend and time away. I just wanted to tell you that I gave my life to Christ. I'm a Christian. And his boss said, that's amazing. I've been praying for you that, that you would give your life to Christ. And his employee said this, to his surprise, you are a Christian? You're the reason why I almost didn't become a Christian. And when you read it, you're kind of thinking like, okay, what's the story here? Like, is the boss this jerk? Is he a hypocrite? Is he judgmental? Is he, you know, what is it about this guy uh, that you're wondering why? What would keep him from becoming a Christian? And he says this, He said, you have been the very best boss I've ever had. You are generous, you're hospitable, you're gracious to me. You've been the very best boss I could ever hope for. And I thought it was possible. I thought it was possible to be a good person without Jesus. He said, you never once told me why, why you treated me the way you do. You never once told me why you serve and why you love and why you care for your employees the way that you do. Essentially what he was saying was this. He never gave Jesus credit. This morning we're going to look at a familiar passage. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. It's in Matthew chapter 5. We're going to pick up in uh, the Salt and Light passage where it's Matthew chapter 5 verse 13. And this this section of scripture, this part of Jesus' sermon, we've, we've launched into it by looking at uh, the Beatitudes, that, that Jesus is announcing and proclaiming that the good news of God's kingdom is breaking into the world. And what Jesus then does is he tasks his disciples with being evangelists in his world. An evangelist, uh, you, that might be like a trigger word for you, like somebody's knocking on your door or something. And that's not, the, uh, that's not necessarily the case. Evangelist is a bringer of good news who has something to announce. We have, uh, we have something to proclaim to the world. And what Jesus is challenging his disciples is saying, you have an announcement to make. You have a way in which you should live in this world that shares the good news that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God that he's died for their sins, and all of our sins. He's risen from the dead, and he's King of kings, Lord of lords. We have this message to proclaim, this message to share. And and, uh, what Jesus will do for us, and, and what challenge he presents to us, is all about how we will conduct ourselves in the world. How we will live and function in this tension where we are out in the world trying to shine in the darkness, and engage God's world with the good news and the gospel of Christ. If you were to think of your own walk, and your own sort of place, and and wherever you're at in your journey with God, do you feel comfortable with shining your light for Christ? 
Do you feel confident that you can share Jesus with others? If you don't, that's okay. I think the vast majority, majority of us would say that we have a hard time knowing exactly how to share our faith. We have a hard time always, uh, always knowing what to say or how to say it. Uh, there's a terrific book by Nick Pollard. It's called Evangelism Made Slightly Less Difficult. And I kind of want to take that as my own sort of working title for this morning's message is making evangelism, sharing our faith, a little less difficult than what it is. And I think Jesus provides uh, the sort of insight that we need and how we can maybe a little more effectively share our faith with others. So let's dig into the Word, and we'll offer a little explanation and hopefully walk away with a little, uh, a little more confidence in how we can share God's Word. There it is in Matthew 5, chapter 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The salt of the earth business... You know, salt uh, in the ancient world was a uh, sort of uh, precious commodity. It was a useful commodity. It was used for the preserving of food. And I, I think that if you've ever heard a sermon on the salt of the earth, you, you, you heard that point. But it's an, a significant and, and important one. It, you, we get the phrase, worth your salt, uh, because in the ancient world, salt was one of the ways in which uh, people were paid or they would use their money to go out and buy salt. And so if you weren't a very good employee, you were called, you know, that's where we got the phrase, not worth your salt. Uh, but in the ancient world, if you think about Israel and where the promised land is situated globally, uh, it has the Mediterranean Sea and it has the Dead Sea. And salt would have been a very prevalent commodity in that part of the world. So when Jesus, and Jesus uses the word salt of the earth, uh, we, we might miss what I think Jesus is trying to communicate. Now, what we might think uh, for a moment is that, uh, that this is Jesus' call for the disciples to minister to Israel. And because it was so prevalent there, Jesus is telling his disciples to go and minister to Israel. I want to take a time out on that thought, and I actually want to like backtrack a little bit, and hopefully you guys hang with me for this one. Um, but I think that what, what Jesus is wanting to do with calling us the salt of the earth is he is challenging us to be the preservers of God's goodness in the world. It's for us to carry with us the mission and task that was given Israel. It's not for us to necessarily go and minister to Israel. Here's what I mean. In the book of Genesis, there's two stories 
that influence a great deal of what we understand in the New Testament. Uh, well, there's more than that, but, <laughs> but uh, two that serve my message. Uh, the first is the story of Noah and the ark. Why does God wipe out all of humankind? Because he feels like it? No. <laughs> when you look at the story, God looks at the human, uh, human heart. And all he sees is wickedness and evil that's throughout the world. There is, no one, there is no one left besides this one man, Noah, who is a righteous man and walks with God. The scripture says that every inclination of the human heart was towards wickedness and evil. And so God, devastated and saddened at all human life, he says, I have to wipe this out and I have to start again. And so then we know the story, and the flood comes, and God preserves Noah, this righteous man, and from Noah, he would continue his work throughout creation. Then he calls the man Abram, and he becomes Abraham, and God gives this special task to Abraham. Abraham is going to grow into a mighty nation. This is in Genesis chapter 12. And in that, he says, I will bless you with a child, and, and you are going to be a, grow into a great nation. You will be my people. I will be your God. And the task of Abraham's offspring will be to be a witness of God's goodness in the world. And so from Abraham, he's going to have a couple of kids. He's going to have Isaac. Isaac's going to have a couple of kids. And then there's going to be uh, a whole bunch of kids that come from Isaac, and then the nation's born, and I just skipped like, you know, 50 chapters. But, uh, uh, but the whole point is, is that this nation grows from Abraham, and it's going to grow into Israel. Now, the rest of the Old Testament is about this people group, Israel, and their simple task to be God's witnesses in the world. God looks at the human heart before the flood and he sees every inclination is towards evil and what he is asking of israel is to be the preservers of god's goodness and god's good intentions for all of creation when israel gets it right when israel really follows god and they're really obedient what ends up happening is god gets glory god gets the praise that he deserves the people, they look at the enemies of Israel. They would look at Israel and they'd be like, whoa, we're not going to mess with those guys. Their God is the real God. Their God is the one true God. And they would say, there's no way we could go up against them. And, and they would say, Yahweh is with us. And that there was, there was this one true Lord, this one true God. Thank you for the two people that heard it. Thank there's this one true God, and He is worthy of all of our love, all of our devotion. That was their task. Israel's task was to witness and uh, bear witness to the watching nations that there are no other gods worthy of praise and worship. And when Israel gets it wrong, and they get it wrong often, what they get wrong is, is they, they walk away from the obedience to God's law, they get it wrong because they start worshiping other idols. They start getting wrapped up in their materialism and all the stuff. And they lose sight of there's one true God in which we live for and devote ourselves to. 
Now, the task of Israel is to bear witness to God's goodness in the world, that there is one true God. And when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, I believe he's telling us that we take on the preservative nature of salt in this way. He says to his disciples and he says to all who would follow him, would you continue to bear witness to God's goodness and God's good intentions in the world? Would you be a people who would obey and love and follow God? And so what I think salt of the earth means is that we are called to be a distinctively holy people. A people who are set apart from the world, who live such lives or live our lives in such ways that no one would mistake who our God is. That in the way that we conduct ourselves, people would unequivocally know that our Lord is Jesus Christ. And the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus explaining how we would live out God's intentions in the world. If you're wondering how to treat your spouse, if you're wondering how to handle your finances, if you're wondering how to pray or how to treat your enemy or how to fast or how to carry out your life, Jesus is going to instruct us. And if we would, sort of, if we would say, yeah, I'm going to take, take this on, then I think we start becoming the salty believers that we're supposed to be. These people who are carrying out God's intentions into the world. And he says that of you. He says that of all of us, that each and every one of us get to take with us God's good intentions into the world. Now there's also a wonderful second, secondary property of salt. And that is that it enhances the flavor of the food that we consume. And I think that if we would just take a step out with that as well and we think about what the Christian life has to offer the world, that if we were to be salt of the earth, we would also, we'd also bring out the very best in life. I get pretty tired and weary of the message that the world offers that says that we have the best and we have something to give you. And if you want happiness, then we, we can give you happiness. If you're looking for comfort, then we can give you anything and everything that would comfort you. We are told a lie that says that the world has something to offer us that will bring us all of the happiness, all of the joy, all of the comfort that we could ever possibly want. And the message, the message of the world is we have what you want and the comfort that you seek. And I don't mean, please don't hear this with judgmental criticism, but the saddest, most lonely place to me is a Friday afternoon at a gas station and people trying to find their comfort and their hope in lotto tickets and liquor. And every week, that's where they go. And every week, that's where they return. Because what they're looking for isn't at the bottom of it, and there's not a quick fix. It'd be nice if we could all, you know, it'd be nice if I could be a preacher like, uh, you know, Oprah Winfrey and just give you all what you're looking for. You know, who wants a car today, you know? The pursuit of more, the pursuit of something, 
Our world is empty and it's longing for something of substance and goodness. And I believe with all of my heart that the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord and King and that He loves and He redeems and He saves and His mercy is for all people is exactly what every single one of us is looking for. Not just the broken and hurting person trying to find something at a gas station, but every single one of us who have been broken and hurt and have struggled with sin, have wrestled with death, have felt empty longing can be filled with the hope that Jesus is Lord and King. I believe that that message is good and it's beautiful and it changes lives and it transforms me and it transforms you. It transforms each and every one of us into the new creatures and who Christ calls us to be. He says you are the salt of the earth. You, when you go out into the world and you display God's love and you display God's intentions for the world, you bring out the very best in life. I've never once needed to have uh, alcohol to have a good time. I think I can cut the rug pretty good without it. I've never once thought, boy, do I need this to fulfill something, to bring me to happiness. I shouldn't say that never once, but, but say that the good things in life, they are a gift from God. And when we are salt of the earth, we put that on display and we show we don't need these cheap substitutes when we have the genuine, true thing of a life in God and His goodness and His love. You, you are the salt of the earth and you, you are God's holy people. You've been set apart for Him. You are children of God and you've been given a special gift that you can carry with you and preserve God's good intentions in the world. No longer does God look at His world and see every inclination of the human heart is towards evil. He sees people after people coming together, being transformed, where their hearts are being renewed into the image of Jesus Christ, where He looks down at His creation not with condemnation, but with hope and redemption and reconciliation. He says, this is you, you are the salt of the earth. And he says, you are the light of the world. And so not only are we distinctively holy and set apart in the ways in which we live our lives, but we are also distinctively hopeful people. There is something unique about every single one of us as light in the darkness. If you have ever been in a cave, which I don't know how many have you guys could share that experience with, have you guys been spelunkers before? Yeah, you're, they're, not, they're hesitant to say spelunkers. But if you go spelunking, or I don't know, I've seen how many times I could say it. Um, I did this in Mexico, and we were exploring a cave, and the further you go back into the cave, the eerier and deeper the darkness becomes. And we took, the, we took flashlights with us, and then we did this dumb idea where we said, okay, guys, let's turn off our flashlights. And it is the abyss. It is like this eerie darkness. I saw a figure last night walking in the field. And I was like, who goes there? I was trying to see the Aurora Borealis. I heard there was a gathering out at Potawatomi. I thought, yeah, this will be great. 
there's nobody there. Apparently there's an observing, uh, a field where you can go observe. I didn't know this. And I saw this motion moving. And it's dark out and there's just this light moving. It was Michael. And uh, I was like, who goes there? It's Michael. And I was like, oh, this is Jordan. Hey, Michael. <laughs> kind of freaking me out. I had ki- my kids with me. I was trying to be brave. But really, I was ready to get in the van. I don't know whether that has anything to do with it other than that there was light in the midst of darkness. And I think that people are so afraid and there is so much fear in our world. Friends, they're looking for light. They're looking for hope. And when Jesus tells us that we are to be the light in the world, that we are in fact the light of the world, Jesus does something very unique. He bestows upon us a title that He also has for Himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I'm the only hope of the world, and their only hope of finding out about it is through us. Friends, you are the light of the world. And we are called not to be saltless, and we are called not to hide our light but that we might shine brightly, that we might share of God's goodness and His glory, that we might continue in our good deeds, that we might be the very best employers, that we might be the very best employees, and we might share the reason why. Because Jesus saved me, because Jesus redeemed me, because Jesus is alive, because He has restored me, He's given me a new heart, Friends, we have a job to do, to be light in the world. And we aren't to be known. We aren't to be known in the world by our judgments. We aren't to be known in the world by our hypocrisy. Friends, we're to be known in this world by our hope, by our faith, by our love. The world shouldn't know all, everything we're against. They should know what we're for the reconciliation of all people back to God. And friends, if we're going to shine light in the darkness, we must find ourselves humbly before the cross, asking for God's healing, asking for His help and His hope in each of our lives. I'm, I'm challenged every day to think about how, how I can share the good news with others. There's that nervousness that you would be the Bible nerd, and you're walking in. I used to be the Bible nerd at high school. I uh, would tote my KJV, you know, the 20-pounder. No, I didn't have the KJV. I had the NIV. I was trying to endear myself to the older audience. I'd take it in, and I actually, in speech class, I read a read scripture in speech class. I thought, ah, this I'm going to win them. I didn't win too many folks that day. So then I, you know, you think, you, how do I relate? How do I connect? Really, Paul he simplifies it so well. He says in Colossians four, and and I invite you to turn there. And this is kind of. This is just kind of the simple thing that I want to challenge us to do. 
Colossians 4, verse 2. This is what he challenges the church to do. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I think it's as simple as this prayer. Devoting ourselves to this prayer and asking God, help us to be just watchful and thankful. One of these things in my life that happens is sometimes sometimes I see an, a, a lack of gratitude in my own walk. And the remedy for that is just to look for things to be thankful for. Paul says, be, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And maybe, just maybe, through your gratitude and your expression of thankfulness, somebody might want to know why you're so thankful. But friends, if we would just sort of present this to ourselves and say, I'm going to devote myself to prayer and being watchful and thankful. I'm going to pray for opportunities. I'm going to pray for Jordan. If you would pray for me, then I may proclaim the mystery of Christ clearly. If you would pray for our missionaries, that they might, that you might pray for yourself because you guys are in your workplaces, in your friendships, in your family. You too are witnesses of Christ and His goodness. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Pray for opportunities. Pray that we might have the words to say. Season your conversations with grace. What do people hear out of your mouth? Do they hear gratefulness? Do they hear kindness? Do they hear mercy? Do they, do they hear a person who loves Jesus? If they're to listen to me, they might just hear Billy Madison quotes and Dumb and Dumber at times but do they really hear of the hope that I have that resides deep in my heart? Of who Jesus Christ is and what He means to me. The challenge is to let our conversations always be seasoned with salt. Seasoned with His grace and His love. And friends, I can't make evangelism easy. But if we would pray this prayer, I think we can make evangelism a little less difficult. And each and every one of us can continue to do good and not forget to tell them why and in all things give God glory. Do good. Tell them why. Give God glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and I thank you for this morning and I ask that you would guide us as a people who are called to be evangelists, the bearers of good news. And God, we know that the mystery of the gospel uh, is unclear to many. And it may yet still be un unclear to us. And so God, as we share together and encourage one another, help us to grow in our faith in you. Help us to see your goodness in each day, that we would live lives of gratitude and th uh, being thankful. And God, we pray for opportunities. We pray 
that uh, from this week and beyond that we would be able to share the good news with, with people that we work with, people that we live with, people that uh, we're in contact with every day. God, that we might season every single conversation we have with grace and mercy and love. So God, we pray for opportunities. We pray for those that we would speak with. God, that we would share your good news with all we come in contact with. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mentioned that uh, our family, our family is uh, heading down to Florida. And I jokingly said that we might stay, but that's not true. We'll just be tourists in Florida. In Philippians 3.20, Paul says that we are citizens of heaven. Now, one of the ways we can look at that passage is to say that we're citizens in heaven and we don't belong here. And we can take up the sort of Christian adage that says, I'm just passing through. And Jesus challenges that and he says, no, no, no. You are salt of the earth and you are light of the world. We aren't citizens on our way to heaven. We are citizens of heaven with, who are put here with a purpose. Paul says it another way. He says we are ambassadors of Christ. We are witnesses of his kingdom. And friends, our job is to be ministers of reconciliation, which is one fancy way of saying people who don't know Jesus, we get to introduce them. And friends, that's our job. We aren't just passing through. We're citizens of a far greater kingdom that can't be shaken. A kingdom that is yours, and it's one to be shared. Let's stand and worship and continue in prayer. Light of the world, you step down into darkness.